Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us for a new episode of In Doubt. This is Courtney, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode where we've got Matt Hammett joining us. He's the former lead singer of Sanctus Real, an author of the recently released book, Lead Me, Finding Courage to Fight for Your Marriage, Children, and Faith. We're leaning into what it looks like to lead in a family, but also what leadership in any context looks like when your foundation is built on solid ground, on Jesus Christ. You'll hear Matt and Isaac talk through what it meant for Matt to leave his music career to focus more on his family and marriage, how Matt and his wife grew when facing conflict and grief, the failures and the times of triumph in their marriage, and what it means to find comfort in the midst of a struggle. So I hope that you find encouragement in this episode with Isaac and Matt Hammett. Well, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac. I'm one of the hosts. And with me today is author, speaker, songwriter, and former lead singer of the band Sanctus Real, Matt Hammett. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show today, Matt. Hey, thanks. It's so good to be here. I'm really grateful. That's great. And, uh, you know, we're not here, unfortunately, to, to talk about maybe specifically your your career as the, the lead singer of Sanctus Real. But for myself, growing up, Say It Loud was a huge <laughs> part of my uh, growing up life. So thank you. Oh, man, I love hearing that. I, every once in a while, every couple of years, I'll actually go back and revisit some of that old stuff. And, uh, you know, my wife will sometimes pull up some old pictures, and it's fun, man, to look back at those days. Um, it was a, a real blast oh, getting I bet. To, to play music during that time. You know, it's interesting. Things have changed a little. You know, there's not as much space in the Christian music market for uh, just organic rock bands. And so that was, a, I think, a time in history that maybe has passed us where <laughs> there was a big market for that, but I enjoyed it so much. Oh, that's so good. Well, thank you and your and your band and everyone else that helped do that. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, Matt, could you just take some time and, and share with us a bit about who you are, how you came to know uh, Jesus? That'd be great just to, to share with us about that. Sure, yeah. So I grew up in a house where my parents both served uh, in the church as volunteers. My mother um, just volunteered wherever she could. My dad actually taught uh, Sunday school kind of my whole life. Um, they also worked outside the home. Um, and my mom actually worked at a Christian school. My dad was an engineer. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things where my parents were very heavily involved in, you know, church and having us in Christian school. But they, they didn't just talk about it or put us in those institutions per se. Uh, not that church is an institution, pardon me, I don't mean to, to sound that way because I love the church. Um, but but they were. it was very real to us. They really lived, they were part of the living and breathing body of Christ where they really lived, you know, what we believed and what they taught us. And so I, I consider that literally one of the greatest gifts I've had in my life is to have parents who modeled real faith for me and what that looks like to actually live it out. Um, yeah. Um, you know, not to say that I still didn't fall into the trap of the human heart, which is, you know, the, the heart, the Bible says the heart's deceptive above all things. Uh, only God knows it. And so, of course, you know, my heart over the years, I think one of the biggest deceptions for me was a very shame-based mentality around religion. You know, my, even though my parents didn't really teach me this, 
I kind of gravitated to the feeling that, you know, well, God really only loves me when I'm performing at my best. And man, I, I, I kind of learned to do that. Um, but when I really, really came to know, I, I guess, came to really feel like my relationship with Christ was truly established in a more personal way, was finally when I, I made it to my early 20s, and I read a book by Brennan Manning called The Signature of Jesus. And there was something about the way that that Brennan, as a uh, broken, very broken man, understood God's love for him. And understood that regardless of his performance, he was fully loved. And something about his story just really broke through to me, to where I really realized that Christ loved me as I was, not because of what I've done, um, but that it's really his love for me that then fuels me on to do even more to serve him because then I'm not doing it out of obligation, but out of true, um, just like just gratefulness, you know? And so it really, uh, I guess my personal faith in that time was really revolutionized. Yeah. That's so good. So it's almost like when you read that book and, and the spirit started doing a work, it's like you met grace because before that it was a lot of law and then you met grace. That's so good. And I'm sure we'll get into more of your uh, life from, you know, your early 20s up till today uh, in the rest of our conversation as well. Uh, You've written a book that's just come out called Lead Me with the subtitle Finding Courage to Fight for Your Marriage, Children, and Faith. Let's just start this way. What is the problem or the issue that you felt called to address in this book? What was it? And... um, yeah, just yeah, speak to that. I know it's a, a little bit of a personal story as well. So speak to the problem, the issue that you wanted to address in this book. Sure. Yeah. So my personal experience was um, the the growing tension between being a husband and a father, and being you know someone who was working to advance my career. It's not uh, a tension that that is is uh, you know just individual to me, obviously every man feels this. And so um, what really made me, I guess, more enlightened to the fact that this is something that everybody was feeling like I was feeling it was when I wrote the song Lead Me for Sanctus Real and I poured, you know, some of what my wife was kind of crying out to me for, which was just that knowledge that, hey, that that I'm I'm before this career dream that you're chasing. She just wanted to know like that your calling as a husband and father is more important than that. And and that and I think that that's that's right. You know that God does call us to to serve those we love in our world that he's given us to steward um with diligence and faithfulness. And I will say there was no um there was really not a plan in action for me as a father and a husband to figure out, well, I've got plans for everything else in my life and how I'm going to advance my career, but I didn't have a plan for the most important things. And so that was always at odds in my life. And I always struggled um, to just be the man, as, as the song says, I mean, that's straight from our, my heart and my wife's heart, be the man that God has called me to be. And so when that song came out, it was like, I was still working through this in my own life, but I had all these guys and women and even children coming to me and saying, this is my favorite song and it's the cry of our hearts. And 
I began to realize that, you know, uh, certainly as I suspected, it wasn't just me dealing with this tension between career dreams and family dreams, but this is something that everybody really is feeling. And so as, as I made a really difficult decision to walk away from a 20, 20 year career with Sanctus Real to focus more on my family and my marriage, um, as I walked through that, and now being removed, you know, about five years from that and almost 10 years from the song, I really wanted to put into words the, the, the most difficult seasons of my life and marriage so that people could know they're not alone. And then I wanted to share the story of how God has been working in me to help me be that man that I desired. And so you know, this this book really is addressing that specific uh, need, that that felt need that people right now it, it's everywhere in families. Hey, you know, how do we address this this desire we have? How do we li- turn our intentions to be the fathers and husbands we always wanted to be into action? And this book addresses that problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. And and just to clarify at the beginning too that, um, and I and I'm sure that you've said this a lot and you've already had feedback. But th- this book, yes, is maybe primarily for men, but women will gain a lot from it as well. Um, yeah, it's a book for everyone. Yeah, as they can resonate with your wife and and so on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a book for everyone. You know, my wife's voice is actually in it, which I love. We originally uh, went to the publisher and said, hey, we'd love to to write this as his his side and her side <laughs> and the truth in between, you know, and but they were like, hey, we only work with the kind of one author, but we'd love to have your wife's voice. And so we actually brought her voice in where she just kind of pops in to say, hey, this is how I saw it, you know, from the female heart. And it's, so I love that touch, you know. That, that's so good. Um, Matt, what are some specific stories, maybe issues that you, your wife, your family had to face and had to deal with in your own growth as a spiritual leader in your family over these over these years? Like, so, you know, you talk about you and your wife as, you know, newlyweds um, right away, like jumping on bus, going on tour. <laughs> and then there's a situation with your third child. So what are some of these things that you had to, to work with and through uh, as you considered your growth as a spiritual leader in your home? Yeah. So number one for for Sarah and I, our biggest issue that we've always faced in our marriage is just conflict management. You know, we we have I get you know we we seek regular counseling even when we're healthy. Um, and but what my counselor always says, he says, you know, for us specifically, it's like we have episodic conflict that can feel like really charged. You know, and and part of that is because when we were on the road together for the first four years of our marriage, we had no space for us to like be intimate and communicate, you know, in um, in ways that were were healthy, you know, for for us um, as, as a couple because we were in a van and trailer with a bunch of guys just touring around, <laughs> and so you know we would get home and it would be like everything been bottling up for months would all come out at one place, and so it kind of created this cycle of episodic conflict that could just be charged. And so really for me as a leader, one of my calls was to learn like, okay, how do I change the cycles and the approach to conflict in my marriage? How do I take steps to try to kind of neutralize things when they start, we feel that tension rise so we can have healthy dialogue and not unhealthy conflict. And so 
Um, that was one thing in our marriage, and I know that every couple deals with conflict, you know, but we share very candidly about our failures in conflict and also share how we overcame some of that um, in the book. And then another thing for us that was very difficult was the grief that we felt walking through life with a child with chronic illness. You know, when Bowen, our third child, was born with heart disease, we spent months in the hospital, and now we still deal, you know, after three open heart surgeries, and we walk with all kinds of other families who walk through these these pains and these trials. And so for us, um, it was honestly like just, I, I've heard, well, I've heard stats that it's like in the 80 percentile of couples who have chronically ill children suffer divorce. And so... I mean, you know, the odds are stacked against us in a way, but, you know, I, I believe obviously God is greater than the odds. And and so for us, we talk a lot about that too, about our, our grief, how we grieved separately through our trials with this and how grief can either really pull you apart or pull you together, but you have to decide and come up with a plan as to how you're going to do that. And so those were two things um, for us that really were hardships that we had to deal with that I mean, you know, it might not be exactly how how uh, how we've had it in our lives, but certainly every couple feels some sense of how do we deal with conflict and how to how do we um, come together in the grief that life brings us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for being so open and sharing about those uh, serious issues. I, we appreciate that. I'm glad that you've yeah. written about it, and and I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of couples and others that will be able to gain and and glean a lot uh, from that. Thinking about those two issues. Um, with a different perspective, though, now, because I think you also in your book talk about the tension that um, men, and I, I, this is true for women too, but the tension between career and family, you know, going after what you feel like your calling is, and then also your family. So what was, how was that kind of rolling around in the back of your mind as, you know, as a newlywed, um, but also with this other situation with your with your child? What How was that working when you kind of had this dual thing going on in your mind and your heart. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm very candid in the book about the fact that I wasn't in tune with the, the reality of what it re- required to be a leader for my wife. You know, I was so in tune since the age of 16 with like, hey, I'm in this band and we, you know, want to make music and we have dreams and um, it's a ministry. And, you know, we were just so focused on that that I think I was kind of naive early on to not realize what it would really take to make a wife feel loved. And then what would it really take to to be a, a great father, to make my children feel loved? And, and a lot of that, as you know, is is literally presence. So much of it is a presence issue. I mean, my wife, one of the things she's said to me in the early, early, those early years as God began to work on my heart through her words was, it's like you're here, but you're not here. And I'm sure like, you know, many men have heard something like that. And many wives have have felt something like that, you know, um, wanting just kind of more than the financial provision, but wanting to hear, wanting to know like they're heard, their heart and their emotions and their spiritual needs are heard and met, um, you know, beyond and not even just beyond intention or just a quick, yeah, yeah, honey, okay, you know. It's like, hey, what am I doing actively? And and so I do think one thing that's always been important for my wife is for me to carve out time 
for us to pray together, to read together. And, and you know, that's an area over the years that I've really struggled to consistently fall into, but I still work to try to create that as a pattern in our lives, even when things get crazy, because I know that's important to her. And it's important to her because it's important, you know, and, and I can still get so focused on, you know, what's happening in my career world, even as now I still try to provide even outside of the band, even though I'm home, it's easy to get in my office, you know, and, and work on other things. Um, I've got to take that time to make sure that I'm planning to to give that same amount of attention and presence to my wife and children. Yeah, that that's so good. And I, I appreciate that. It's like the first kind of practical thing. And we'll get to some more practical stuff. But the idea just of, of presence and how important that is. And, you know, as I was thinking about this today, um, before our conversation, I was just thinking about Genesis 2 and Adam and Eve, obviously, they get married and it says the two shall become one flesh. And there, there's so much there. I'm sure you've you've looked into that and you've studied that because it's just a, a profound reality that they are a married couple, that you're one one flesh. So I think so often, because we're so steeped in this individualism in, in, in the Western civilization, North America, that even in marriage, it can so easily just become, you know, roommates um, and you just help each other out, you know, <laughs> and uh, you compromise, you sacrifice for one another. But it's not this like spiritual and even just holistic union, um, which I just find so fascinating. Yeah, and the Bible makes it clear that clear that you know our our wives' needs and others' needs are meant to come even before our own. And so you know when we're in tune to that's what Christ does for us, and that's what we're called to do for our, our wives and for others. Um, you know that's that 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 takes presence and action. Um, you know one really practical way we did that today as a family that I can say, you know, 10 years ago, um, I'll give you the contrast. 10 years ago, during all of this, I probably would have thought, oh, the kids are fine. Sarah's fine. You know, be loving to everybody and try to keep a good attitude and um, pray together, you know, about things. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of the good intentions. Hey, we're just going to get through this. Everything's fine mentality, which I'm I'm not like shaming that by any means. But here, 10 years later, and I've learned enough to know that what I can do to go beyond that and be proactive is what you know we did today as a family. We sat down together, we talked about our fears, and then we talked about who God was. And you know, we read from Scripture as a family to remind the kids that nothing can separate us from God's love. You know, that we can cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. That God is working all things for the good. Um, and that's a proactive step that I can take as a father to gather everyone around, let them speak their their thoughts, their feelings, their fears, um, and and you know let them talk without trying to fix it, but then speak truth into their lives very intentionally. And it's those moments that I just think I'm learning over the years um, to to be a proactive leader. Yeah, that's that's so so good. Uh, so appreciate that. And I feel like in, in a subtle way, there's sort of been a resurgence in the idea and practice of family devotions, um, which is just so essential. And some people may kind of scoff at it, but uh, as you've just displayed and shared, like it is essential. And I'm sure your children in 10, 15, 20 years down the road will look back and thank you and, and your wife for for doing that. I think it's I think it's so good. So yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, powerful. Matt, you you claim that you were a man of good intentions, but that intentions are worthless until they become actions. So firstly, that sounds kind of cool, but what does it mean? 
And then secondly, uh, what was it that kind of helped you really like realize this? And what was it that changed you? Yeah, I think that my wife had a few hard conversations with me about her needs uh, early in our marriage. Maybe, you know, probably more around like seven or eight years of being married is when I think she really started to kind of have this like apparent brokenness. And it was the day that I wrote the song Lead Me that actually it was kind of one of those like conversations where I really sensed like where I, I heard her saying like, we've had this conversation. You you say, okay, you know, you hear me, but nothing changes. And, <laughs> and I think I realized like, oh man, I, I felt so stuck because I think in ways I was just paralyzed by my good intentions again of just thinking like, well, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm nodding my head, I'm, 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 I'm taking in what you're saying. But the next part of that is, is the doing, right? Figuring out where is this disconnect? What are the ways she feels loved? And then how do I proactively do this for more than like just today, <laughs> you know, to keep things moving forward and then not hope this blows over tomorrow and go back to business as usual. And so that that was that was big, and I really felt God kind of like just working on me in all areas of my life to like really, really be more. Being a dreamer is okay, but 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 like it's no. What good is being a dreamer if you're not a doer as well, you know? And so it's interesting. I have this really simple um, like visual that I use all the time when I go to men's conferences to help drive this this point home. Um, you know, I had this like little workout dice and you kind of throw it on the ground, right? And it's got different workouts on it and whatever kind of rolls up and you you do that workout. It's a, kind of a prompt, right? And so I bought it and it literally stayed in the backseat of my car for two months. And I remember every time I would look at it on the floor in the backseat of the car, I would see like the 30 sit-ups or whatever on it. And in my mind, I would actually do that. Like in my mind, I would be like, okay, like, um, like I'm doing these sit-ups. I'm feeling it actually funny enough, gave me a little endorphin kick, like made me feel like good about myself. And then so finally I was like, oh, I gotta take it in the house. I took it in the house. It sat for another two months in our mudroom. And I would see the push-ups. And in my mind, I would like keep doing the push-ups. So in my mind, I've been working out for four months, but I haven't done anything. There's no visible change to the outside world. But I've now inside my mind and my heart actually feel better about myself because I was imagining myself doing the right things. And sometimes we can actually visualize ourselves doing the things we want to do. And inside, because we're thinking about it, it almost is like the lie of it being an action, even though no one around us can see the result. Um, and I think it really is kind of the same way. Like, I've got my Bible, you know, kind of just sitting on the end table. I've got my Christian living section on the shelf. I've got, you know, we've got uh, scripture on our walls and all these things that can, we were kind of holding on to this faith. It's there. We have it. We own it. And it, we, we make it, feel, we feel good about ourselves. But it's like, what are we doing with that hope and that faith that is actually changing the way that we live our lives? You know, that, and it's like, I just really felt like 
I was looking at all these things in my life that I was kind of having the right intentions, but when, how often am I opening my Bible? How often am I thinking about the truth behind that prayer on my wall and actually praying it? How many times am I opening those books and actually ingesting the Word of God and, and what He's trying to teach me through His people? And I just think these are really little simple things, though, that really is our springboard for a much bigger picture of how we live our lives. And I think it, it, the most important thing we can do is have a reality check and be willing to take a look at those intentions in our hearts and our minds and the people we want to be and ask ourselves a really hard question. Do I just want to be that person or is that actually who others perceive me to be? And to take it even further, what's really risky is asking people in your life, especially your wife, and say, honey, how do you view me as a leader? Do you view me as being the man that I claim to be, and then just letting them talk. I mean, you want to talk about scary. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's hard, but that's the stuff that changes us. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that, that that's great, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I think that's going to be so helpful, because even as you're talking about this idea of how thinking about, like, your intentions, what you want to be, we kind of play it in our mind psychologically, and then we feel good about ourselves. I totally resonate with that, and I appreciate the fact that you just kind of verbalized it. So then what what is it then that can bring us to actually start doing? Like, what made you roll the dice if you have? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we all know, like, all the all the practical stuff in the world, you know, has no growth or no meaning without the Lord, without His Spirit in our lives. And I can honestly say that my only hope in all of this was to come to a place of brokenness before the Lord. And that, the, the, the most important part of the prayer and the song lead me, um, that, that kind of comes, you know, in the turn when it moves from the voice of a wife or a child asking a husband or father to lead is that voice of the man turning to God to say, lead me, um, as I lead them. And I do think for me, um, all the knowledge in the world, all the practical lessons in the world had no value whatsoever until I came to a place of brokenness before God recognized uh, not the reality of my failures for the sake of shame or for the sake of, um, you know, and as an exercise, but recognize those as an opportunity to bring my weakness before God and to allow him to take my weakness and be strong. And, you know, that was when, for me, having that recognition before God, desperately being in a place where I was calling on Him to change my heart, that's when I really began to feel the Spirit work in my heart, work in my family, and give me a vision for what it looked like to use the gifts He had given me in, in a context that was, was healthy for my relationship with the Lord and also my relationship uh, with my family, you know, the Bible makes it very clear that that we can we can sow and we can we can work the 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 fields, but only God gives the growth. And um, and that I mean that is the the key that we just can't miss. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, I was going to ask how Jesus, the gospel, has played a role um, throughout all of this that you've been going through, but you kind of just shared that now and the idea that it kind of starts on your knees as you confess to him your brokenness. Is there maybe you can elaborate on that or maybe you could share a, a scripture or something that kind of helped you through this time to, to meditate on? Um, yeah, so how has Jesus and the gospel sort of played a role in his word? Yeah, absolutely. I'm someone who like... <laughs> 
I, I deeply struggle uh, with anxiety. Um, and, and I think more, I'm more so used to, and, and I've been working through this and God's been doing it, it, it this work in me. Um, you know, I think as I look at the life of Jesus and I look at, at the, at the fact that even he faced, as he faced sacrifice for us, you know, as he prayed in the garden, as even he felt the sense of, uh, I mean, gosh, not a sense, but like he felt trembling and he felt the weight of facing the greatest sacrifice. He felt the weight of facing death. Even he cried out to his father to save him. You know, if it be his will, please save, you know, let the, take this cup from me. And I think um, that has brought me such comfort, you know, and then, and then even, uh, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about the high priest who understands all of our weaknesses. Jesus knows he's, he's lived those weaknesses. He was to that point of desperation in his flesh of not wanting to face hardship. And I think I, for me, I think to myself, like, if he could face all that for us, it does bring me comfort knowing that my greatest struggle in life has been nothing compared to what Christ faced. Um, but even in that, he surrendered to God's will. He trusted God's sovereignty. And, um, and I do, I look at the end of Jesus' life. I look at that sacrifice. I look at the struggle. And it does truly, honestly, bring me comfort in the face of uh, whatever it may face on any given day. Um, that I'm going through. Yeah, that's so good, Matt. For those young men who are listening right now, who are maybe they're they're single, but they're they're searching, or, or maybe they're dating right now. Uh, what are one or two things that you'd encourage and or warn them with? Yeah. Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, that's that's what you say when you're stalling to come up with the good answer, right? <laughs> that's okay. Um, <clears throat> no, there's so much. Um, okay, so. And I would say more than anything, um, actually, I have, to, I have to tell you something really funny. I have to tell you something hilarious. That my, I promise it'll circle back around to your question. I was with my buddy Carter um, on, on this Kirk Cameron tour that I was just doing. And, and he said his great-grandfather, the very final words that his great-grandfather said to him before he died were this. He said, Carter... It doesn't matter how madly in love with you are, or how madly in love you you may be, he says, but marriage is barely tolerable. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Now, obviously that's an extreme sentiment. Right, right, right. But but you know, there is some uh, to varying degrees, there's some truth to that. Dan right. Allender also said, you know, marriage is the closest you'll ever come to heaven and it's the closest you ever get to hell. <laughs> you know, and and so there's great, you know, wise men who've devoted their lives to the Lord still have this struggle. And and I do love to remind people of that, that hey, you know what, you may be in the throes of being madly in love. You may imagine that, you know, things could never um, be tumultuous between you and the one you love. Um, but just, just I would say, make sure you're building on the foundation that a marriage uh, that lasts is is built on, um, that the foundation is Christ, that the foundation is a like mind and a like spirit, that you have the same, um, you know, you might, you might have different passions, you might be different people, but if that if that firm foundation of a relationship with Christ and the desire to build a family on it is not there, um, man, either you, you need to, to build it 
or or be in a relationship where where that's what you're building on. Um, it, it will be the one thing that that truly lasts when everything else feels like it's falling apart. Yeah, that that's so good, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, tackling that question. And if I can throw one more at you, that same question, but thinking about young women in in that same kind of place, either dating or or so on, and maybe when you think about your your wife Sarah and how she had to kind of ask questions to you and talk to you, maybe what's one thing that you would encourage young women with as they uh, consider marriage? Yeah, I, I would say, um, as you as you look for you know a partner. Or let's say you know you find a, a man that uh, you're you're interested in, in walking that road with, or that you're dating or engaged to. I would say be patient with him, but also patiently uh, express what it is that you need. Um, one of the things that really helped my marriage was uh, along the way. You know, I made a lot of changes in in my uh, leadership. But one of the changes that my wife made was that she would she would hold in in the early days uh, some of her feelings uh, or some of her desires, and she would allow those to kind of come out almost as like anger or a pointing finger at, at me as her leader for the things that she needed or areas she felt like I was lacking. Um, it was maybe a, to- a tone of um, you know that that would wouldn't really set off the conversation in the right way. Um, and so, and I think for women especially, it's important to know number one, like don't hide those feelings if they're important to you, but learn how to express them in a way that speaks life to the relationship. Um, and the tone that you choose to bring to the table when you do have a need, especially if it be revolving around leadership um, or you know what he's going to bring to the table spiritually, um, find a way to open up those those. Uh, conversations, yeah, just in a tone that creates a healthy dialogue that isn't shame-based. And I would also say, if you can't have those conversations in any way without there being conflict, then that might be a sign that something may be wrong, more wrong on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that. Matt, as we as we wrap up here, you know, just as a final question, from all that you've learned on on this life journey that you've had, um, including the reflection, the study with your book and your recent speaking engagements and all that you've learned and all the conversations you've had with various husbands and wives across the country, what's one thing you could just leave us with that you could just encourage us with from all of just taking everything at once? What's the one thing you could just you could say to encourage us today? Yeah, man, there's just so much. Um you know, in this time in particular, and, and I can probably say this now because I don't think it's just a momentary thing. I think that this panic that's in the world right now will probably last for a couple months to come. Uh, so no matter who hears this or where we're at in this cycle of this this global pandemic and all the worry and all the fear, um, I just I'm just seeing that God is using this um, to really to really make his people shine. And I'm seeing marriages and families really shine through all this. I'm seeing, you know, talking to people every single day whose families are getting through it and coming together and leaning more on Christ than they ever have. Um, I believe that the family, the a godly family is the greatest hope of, um, of our world. Um, you know, we're, we're 
I guess, you know, family life um, always says that the family is God's smallest battle formation um, for the hearts of the world. And so I would just say, you know, to, to men, especially and to couples, like as you lead, remember that God has called you to something great, but he will never leave you lacking in the resources. Um, and so lean into him and in your weakness, he will be strong. And I just, I mostly want to say that to all the Christian families out there, um, who are being a light, God bless you. And you're going to make it and you're going to be a light and there's an eternal reward, uh, for us in the end. Yeah, that's so good. Well, thank you for leaving us with those words. Um, that's it for now, but we just so appreciate you having uh, you on the show today, uh, Matt, and uh, we hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm blessed to be here. What a great opportunity to be able to hear from Matt, and I hope that his story has served as an inspiration for you. Or I hope that this was at least an opportunity to start an inward conversation about this topic. That reality check of, do I just want to be that person or is that actually who others perceive me to be? If you'd like to follow along with Matt in his every day on Instagram, you can follow him at Matt Hammett or you can go to his website, www.matthammett.com. And anything else that Isaac and Matt talked about will be up on our website in the link section of this episode. So with all of that, I hope that you join us next week for another new episode of In Doubt, where Isaac has the chance to talk with pastor and author David Mathis about biblical disciplines and forming habits of grace. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 